You ever uh, think of getting another job? Of course, are you kidding me? Shepherding puts food on the table, but everyone assumes anything I give them or sell to them is something I've stolen. Nothing I can do about it now. Once you're in this job, it's not exactly a resume builder being a shepherd. Once you do this thing for a decade, it's hard to get another profession after this. I hear you. I mean, I feel like people don't even look me in the eye anymore when they talk to me. It's like they don't even make eye contact with me. Oh, well. Are you going to the synagogue tomorrow? Uh, what's the point? They think of me like they think of a dung sweeper or a tax collector. I used to go, but every time I went, everyone there always gave me the stink eye. Especially those priests and those teachers from up front. So I think I'll just stay home. This conversation, or at least a similarly flavored one, would have been typical for grazing shepherds. Just prior to seeing the glory of God accompanied by this angelic announcement. Jesus, guys, was not born into a vacuum. He wasn't born into a Thomas Kincaid watercolor painting. He wasn't born into a major motion picture, even if it had real animals and actual Palestinians in it. He wasn't born onto a Christmas card with a nativity on the front. Likewise, the announcement of Jesus' birth came to real men who likely didn't enjoy what they did. Certainly, at least, didn't enjoy all the labels and the identity that came with what they did being a shepherd. Near to the time, near to the time of Jesus, Judaism's written record of their oral law describes shepherds as utterly incompetent people. In fact, it's said that no one should feel obligated to help a shepherd if he was to fall into a pit. If you see anyone else in a pit, please help them. But if a shepherd, eh, it's up to you. They were comparable to dung sweepers and tax collectors, like I mentioned earlier. They couldn't testify in court because everyone assumed that each one was a thief. Yet, it was work that had to be done. Someone had to be a shepherd. So we find these men out in this field, somewhere in the suburbs of Bethlehem, tending to their flock. And it's to them that the announcement of God's birth comes. To them, an invitation of the one who can save all of humanity from death to life comes to them. Why do shepherds matter to this story? Is it just an interesting tidbit? All shepherds are real people. Is it merely neat that God will reveal himself and the flesh to shepherds instead of the elite and powerful of the day? We'd be on the right track. We're getting there if we're thinking that way. But that's not all. God's purpose for extending an invite to shepherds about his birth has a far more specific purpose than just being neat or interesting or kind of cool. Shepherds, friends, were ready. They were ready. Maybe or maybe not ready for a savior, but man, were they ready to shed that identity. They were ready to leave behind finding meaning and purpose in a really shameful profession. And they were ready to leave it at the very next best moment. And that moment arrives when they hear good news of great joy. When they hear news about a Savior. When they hear the singing of a choir of angels saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. They are ready in that moment to leave what they're doing. 
to leave the shame behind, leave the identity for good news, for a savior, for peace, for glory. What do they find? What do they see when they arrive in Bethlehem? They see a baby, a real tangible baby, somewhere between six and nine pounds, unless you think he was bigger because, you know, he was the son of God somehow. But he was real, fragile, vulnerable. God was vulnerable, completely a baby in that moment. Why a baby of all things to become? He could have just appeared. I think of, well, I think it was four years ago, there was an event here in Grand Cayman where two very famous, prominent people were going to come and speak. And after they spoke, rub, rub shoulders with other people who came to this dinner. So a number of people I know with more connections than me decided they would, they would pay, they would go along, and they said, hey, let us go to the Ritz-Carlton and see this thing that has happened. Right? And so they go. And the first famous person gets up to speak. Let's call him Richard. Uh, he was a larger-than-life figure, but he acted like that face-to-face. He associated mostly with dignitaries. He talked mostly about himself. And so my friends, they were like in awe of this guy, but no one really wanted to draw near to him, felt comfortable approaching him. The other person, also a larger-than-life figure, very famous, his name, let's call him George. Well, he was larger-than-life as well, but personable. He was someone who wanted to do more than just shake hands with you. He wanted to listen. He warmly greeted people. Got to know your story a little bit, from what I understand. So in the end, who would you talk more glowingly about? Who would you want to associate with, even identify with? George, right? And God knows this. He knows this about us. Jesus is larger than life. The author of life, the creator of the universe. The Bible says that all things that were created were by him, through him, for him. This is Jesus But if the shepherds had walked into a manger to behold a God like this, right, this blinding light or something out of a scene from Armageddon, they may have been impressed, but they probably would not have drawn near, would they? Would we have? Almost certainly not. God came as humbly as possible, as a baby, born either in a room reserved from really stinky animals or he was born in a kind of crawl space where you'd store things for the winter. That's what God was born into. And one day he'd humble himself to the uttermost on our behalf, trading swaddling cloths for birth for linen cloths of burial. That's what he endured for us. As such, God, God literally embodies the song of the angels, highest glory, but also peace on earth. That's who our God is. And that's what we want. What we need as human beings is glory that recognizes weakness. We are all made in the image of God, and as such, we are created, whether you know it or not, we're created for glory. We're created for something bigger than ourselves, and I know most of you feel that. We're created to want to hear the praise of well done from our Creator. And yet, we can't give this to ourselves. We need someone lowly, someone who can welcome us, who can usher us into the glory, the praise, and the honor to which we ultimately belong, that's reserved, that we know we crave. 
And that someone who can welcome us into that glory and honor and praise is Jesus. Glory that comes in humility and peace. So how should we respond then to such a God who would show himself in this way? We should all become like shepherds, not literally get a staff, get some sheep, (laughs) and port them on island and pay the duty, not that sort of thing. But God chose shepherds because they were ready to shed their identity. And this theme is consistent of God. Jesus actually grows up to say, you know, if you want to know the kingdom, if you want to receive the kingdom to know the king, you must all become like little children. Little children had the exact same status as shepherds did. Annoying. People wanted nothing to do with them. They were dismissed quickly. That's how little children were treated. That's how shepherds were treated. And that's who Jesus comes to reveal himself to. So friends, I want to encourage you, shed, shed those ingrained identities in which we usually find meaning and purpose, but we know deep down are empty. For some of us, we identify ourselves by what we do. We're successful maybe as lawyers, as auditors, as managers, as nurses, as teachers, as mothers and fathers. And yet, deep down, we recognize we had all these advantages and all these boosts to help get us there, such that we can take little credit from where we are are today. Some of us identify ourselves by what others think of us, how others view us, your social status, your respectable morality, the way you conduct yourself, the opinions of others they have of you in the community. And yet, if others were to, to look a little bit beneath the surface, if they were to pop the hood of our real lives that status would crumble. That view would easily crumble, wouldn't it? Some of us identify ourselves by what we can do for others. To provide a great Christmas for our kids, all of us want to do that. Many of us love to serve well. Many of us are are a good friend to someone in need. And yet this exhausts you. And you never leave that relationship, leave that moment feeling fully satisfied. There's always more to do. There's always more help. There's always more need until we enter exhaustion and recognize we can't save the world, but someone else can. This glorious yet vulnerable God child can be embraced by anyone who say, that's enough. I recognize this identity that I have placed my hope in my whole life is empty. And I want something more. I want to be identified primarily with Jesus Christ, who alone can make me a child of the Father. He alone can do it, so you can know God forever. You know, upon seeing Jesus as glory-choosing vulnerability, these shepherds, they receive a new identity. How do we know this? We're not told specifically these shepherds receive a new identity, but our text, Luke, tells us everything we need to know. These shepherds, they made Jesus known. All who heard about it, which implies a lot of people, they wondered. The shepherds returned, were told, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. In other words, their occupation stayed a shepherd, but they live like children. Children full of joy, full of praise, full of glory and wonder. Like children telling everyone they can about what most excites them, even if it annoys you. Right? And I got children. They tell me all the time what most excites them. And it's awesome to see that light in their eyes as they do it. That's who the shepherds had really become. That was their new identity. And you can adopt this identity too. How so? Beholding and trusting. Beholding this glorious Savior who chooses weakness. Who chooses weakness so we might draw near and respond by trusting in him. Over and above all that now defines you. 
One of my favorite Christmas hymns is by a Dutch man. It was arranged by a Dutch man named Klaus Hart. And Klaus arranged this hymn called Come and Stand Amazed. And it's helped me, it's helped me personally over the past couple weeks really behold and respond to this God who made himself weak so that we could draw near. I want to say these, just, just end by telling you these lyrics. O Lord Jesus, God incarnate, who assumed this humble form, counsel me and let my wishes to your perfect will conform. Light of life, dispel my darkness. Let your frailty strengthen me. Let your meekness give me boldness. Let your burden set me free. O Emmanuel, my Savior, let your death be life for me. Our worship team is going to come up. Let's stand, and we're actually going to sing this hymn together.